Romans 15. So if you want to turn there, and I think it's going to be on the screens as well. Um, So we were in Romans 14 last week, and uh, we're going to skip a few verses and then continue on here in Romans chapter 15. So um, just to remind you some of what we talked about last week, um, in Romans 14, Paul is fleshing out uh, what relationships in the family on mission should look like. And um, he's making this case that the basis for how we make decisions needs to be love. So in Romans 14, we said this last week, he begins by talking about the law of God. Um, As a matter of fact, he quotes some of the law from the Old Testament. You shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. And he makes this case that the purpose of the law is to love our neighbor as ourself. So the law is summed up in this one command, Paul says, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, What he's saying is that the law is relational, right? That the law is not just about rules, and it's not even only about pleasing God, but it's also about being in right relationship with each other. That the law followed, right, um, is a roadmap for us to exist in healthy relationships with one another. And then he goes on in Romans 14 to define sin along these same lines. If the law is relational, so is sin. So he says sin is not only the breaking of rules, it is also the breaking of relationships. Sin always breaks relationships. We were talking last week about how even the sins that we don't think affect other people, um, even the sins that you know we might feel like we keep to ourselves or keep private or whatever, Um, the Holy Spirit often shows us that these are things that um, actually affect the relationships that we're in. So Paul wants us to see that the law is relational and sin is relational. And then he spends the rest of Romans 14 talking about gray areas, Um, talking about places where it's harder to make decisions, Um, partly because we don't have a chapter and verse to make these decisions. Um, There are many things that Scripture does not address directly. Um, I was saying last week, you will meet Christians who think that it does, um, that everything is black and white, Um, but there are areas that are more gray that Scripture does not directly address. Um, And there's just the situations that we find ourselves in, right? Um, You know, the circumstances that we find ourselves in as a family Uh, where we have to make decisions. And I was saying that one reason we've been doing this series for the last few weeks is because we find ourselves in a season where that is the case, um, where we are having to make all kinds of decisions that we don't have a chapter and verse for. Um, But in those gray areas, the law is love. Um, If if the law is love where the law is clear, um, the law is also love where it's less clear, (laughs) you know? Um, And so what we're left to do is find ways to enter into conversation with each other, to pray, to wrestle with what the Holy Spirit might be saying, and to reach our conclusions. In Romans 14, it says to be fully convinced in our own mind. And it's interesting that Paul says it's possible to be fully convinced in our own minds of different opinions, you know? Um, for two people to be in the same family and to be fully convinced on how they're going to address a gray area um, and to feel this uh, very differently, um, but nonetheless to be convinced in their own mind. By the way, Paul says that if you're not convinced in your own mind, um, if 
uh, you violate your own conscience in exercising your freedom, then it is sin. And it's sin, not because it broke a chapter and verse, it's sin because it violated love or your understanding of love. Um, and so we can violate our own understanding of love and it's still sin, right, um, in these gray areas. So Paul's continuing this conversation in Romans 15. And we're just going to look at a few verses tonight. It's not going to be very long. First of all, Romans 15:1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul, in this passage, is using the language of strong and weak to talk about people who are fully convinced on something and people who are less convinced of something. So those who are strong in this passage are those who have become fully convinced on a gray area. Um, they're sure that they're not violating their conscience, and they're sure that they are acting in love, um, even if it contradicts the opinions of someone else, maybe someone else even in the same family. Um, and so that's who's strong. Paul, on the issues he's talking about in Romans 14 and 15, um, is counting himself as one of those who are strong. He's talking about if it's right to eat certain foods or not. And he's saying some are strong in their own opinion on this. They're fully convinced that it's okay to eat certain foods, while others are less sure. But here's what Paul says. It's the response. Oh, I want to say this. We all probably have been strong or weak on the issue, depending on what the issue is, Right? We probably all know what it feels like to feel fully convinced of something or to feel unsure of something, um, to be on either side of those, um, depending on the circumstance or depending on the gray area in question that we don't have a chapter and verse for, right? Um, but Paul is saying that for those who consider themselves strong, who consider themselves fully convinced of something, this is what being strong in the family on mission looks like it looks like making room for those who are less sure or fearful. It looks like making room for those who are less convinced. Strength in the world is defined in terms of shouting the loudest. It's defined in terms of controlling other people. Um, it's defined in terms of having your way and making other people follow that. Paul is defining strength in a different way. He's saying the person who is strong in the family is the person who has room in their life for the weaknesses of other people surrounding them. Um, even for people who might feel differently on a certain issue. Even for people who, um, you know, it's, I think, you know, he's talking about food and drink in Romans 14. It's easy for the strong to look at the weak and say, ah, oh, get over it, you know? Like, that shouldn't bother you, or that shouldn't, whatever. But Paul's saying, no, that's not how the strong treat the weak. Um, what the strong do is make room in their lives. As a matter of fact, in diverse families on mission where there's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of different ways of looking at things, um, it is really important to have people who are strong as Paul defines strength here, not as control and not even as convincing other people of your point of view, um, but as having room in your life for people who have different viewpoints than you do who have room in their lives for those relationships. Um, people like that end up being glue in diverse families on mission, <laughs> you know? Um, because if we don't have people like that, um, then they don't stick together, right? Um, so Paul says that it's the responsibility of the strong to bear with the failings of the weak. Next, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. 
So here again, I said this last week, the law is love even in the gray areas. Um, But because it's love, it means that we can only argue our point of view from the place of love. Um, I have to be honest with you, in this day and age, I hear a lot of Christians making arguments from places other than love, Um, from their opinions, um, from a political standpoint, um, you know, from just what they think is right. It's okay for us to disagree on things, but the only basis for our argument has to be love of neighbor. Um, It's the only legitimate thing we can fight about, is how to love each other better is how to love our neighbor better. Um, It's okay to have disagreements about that, you know? But the argument always has to be made from the place of love. It's the only legitimate place because the whole law is summed up in that one command, uh, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, Even here at the Gospel Tab, I was saying this in the other services, over the years, uh, we have boldly and... um, you know, strongly denounced injustice and denounced racism. And we do it because it's so clear in the scriptures. Um, How could we not when it's all the way through this book? We're going to denounce it like this book denounces it. And yet, I have to admit to you that there is not a plan in this book for, um, you know, to undo racism in the society in which we live. There's not a specific step-by-step plan. We're given the ideal of the kingdom of God, we're giving the vision of what the kingdom of God looks like, but how to get there is up for debate. How to get there, it's okay for Christians to disagree on that. Um, It's okay for us to disagree with each other on what that looks like um, and to even be passionate about it, so long as we're arguing from love and for love, as long as we're making our arguments from the place of love and it's for the purpose of love. If those are arguments, then they're legitimate. And we can hear each other out on it. But the goal is always for other people. Paul says this, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Paul here quotes a psalm, and he wants us to remember um, Jesus' crucifixion at this point. Um, The psalm that he quotes is just an aspect of Jesus' suffering, the insults that have fallen on you, have fallen on me. It's the cry of someone who has gotten, who has placed themselves in the line of fire of people who are insulting God and the insults hit them as a result because they're associated with God. This was true, of course, of Jesus on the cross, right? The insults, which really were directed at God, were falling on Christ. Why does Paul want us to remember here the crucifixion of Jesus? Because he is saying that in the family on mission, there will be times when we have to bear with each other. Bear with each other's points of view. When we have to bear with, um, you know, each other's opinions. Or just when we have to bear with each other because we irritate each other, right? And Paul is saying that he wants us to remember the suffering that Christ went through. The strongest one of all. So that room could be made in his life for weak people to be part of his story. He wants us to remember the cost of love for Jesus. Um, He wants us to remember that whatever we go through in bearing with each other, and whatever we go through in having to put up with one another, it doesn't even come close to what Jesus went through to make room in his story for us. And this is not just an example that we follow. 
Um, it's not like we're just trying to be like Jesus. This is a love that we've actually experienced. God has made room in his story for our shortcomings. He's made room in his story for the places where we have gotten it wrong. So we make room for each other then in those same places. Paul goes on to say, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now remember, at the beginning of this section, Paul was talking about the purpose of the law, the purpose of the scriptures. And he was saying all of the law in the scriptures is summed up in this command to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, now he's kind of making a summary statement on the scriptures, and he's saying even the scriptures, the places even where they, it is black and white, even the places where it is clear, where the law does draw boundaries, he's reminding us that God did not give the law just for his own benefit. God gave the law for our benefit. Um, even the giving of the law was done in love. Um, it was for our benefit, our protection, so that through them, we might have encouragement. Through them, we might have endurance and be provided with hope. We like to say every time we talk about hope, we're talking about the future. Um, we're talking about our future with God, where God is going. The Bible is ultimately a story about God. It's not a rule book. It's not a story about people. It's ultimately a story about God and God's future. And in that story, God binds us with his future. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, our future is bound with his future. That's what hope is. And Paul is saying that our stories have been wrapped up in this story, the giving of the scriptures. And so that story becomes our story, and the hope that that story provides, the future that that story has, is our future as well. Paul is saying that even the purposes of the scriptures, wherever they are taught, wherever they are preached, is to give hope to people. Even the preaching of the scriptures must be done in love. And places where the scriptures are preached to control or manipulate, places where the scriptures are preached to hold people back or to beat them down, misses the point of the scriptures. The scriptures were provided for encouragement and endurance so that we might have hope. With the scriptures, we pull each other toward the future that God has for us. With the scriptures, we call each other to the place that God is calling us, bound together with his own future. And then, very characteristic of Paul in his letters, he begins to pray. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's extraordinary that Paul's praying this because he has just affirmed the strong diversity of thought and opinion that can exist in the family. But here he is encouraging unity of mind, not uniformity in all of the opinions. Um, he has left space for us to figure out how to love each other well, how to wrestle with that. The, the only basis for it can be love. But he gives space for that to happen. Um, in the, in, back in the day, it's hard for us to even imagine how strongly they felt because the issues are different than the issues uh, you know, that we face. But there were strong opinions on about eating certain foods, if that was loving to other people or not. Strong opinions about honoring holy days, if that was loving other people or not. He leaves room for those debates to happen so long as they are rooted in love. Nonetheless, he prays 
for unity of mind and one voice. He prays it because he knows he's asking for something that only God can do. As a matter of fact, this was Jesus's own prayer on the night that he was betrayed. Jesus prayed that his people would be one. Jesus prayed that their unity would be protected. Um, and so I, I've said this to people before, if Jesus prayed it, I think it gets answered. You know, like if it's Jesus's prayer, I think God answers Jesus's prayers, right? And so Paul here is joining Jesus's prayer that this family would be made one. Um, I would also say it's interesting that Paul prays because I've noticed over the years that it's in environments of prayer that the family is formed anyway. Um, You know, there have been times in prayer meetings where I've looked across the room and thought, man, I don't agree with that person or they irritate me or they couldn't be anything like me. You know, they couldn't be any more different than me or whatever. But in an environment of prayer, God does something. And it's like, no, that person's in the family with me. Um, that person's with me. We've learned that praying together is the space where God brings unity among us. Um, you know, I think about our early years in Aliquippa when just some of our initial friends from college moved into the community with us. And, you know, there were these nights, you've heard me talk about before probably, but there were these Sunday nights where we would just gather and we'd be praying for God to do something. We were joking the other day that back then we, it, we look back on it and we think we really didn't even know how to pray, you know? Like, we had this whiteboard and we would write out these lists of things to pray for and these lists would just get longer and longer and longer. I'm telling you, it was like two hours of intercessory prayer through a list, you know, like we're just like working our way down, making sure that we're covering all of our bases and praying for these things. It was exhausting. Um, And no one had taught us how to be joyful in prayer, so it wasn't joyful either. Um, And God had a lot of work to do in my own heart, so I can actually remember saying things in these prayer meetings like, prayer is work, work, (laughs) you know, like just telling people to get in there and work. It was the best we could do at the time. Um, but uh, but um, we've learned that in those places of prayer, God forms us. I remember on those nights, sometimes I would look across the room, even though the prayer meeting was kind of not a happy place. Um, I would look across the room, and I would think, man, I would die for that person. Like, and it's because of what we're experiencing together here, like in the upper room. And I've experienced that over and over again. I'll die for the people that I've been in the upper room with. I'll die for people that I've prayed with, that I've worshiped with, you know. Um, It forms us. And it forms us because the love of the Father comes near to the siblings and shapes us there. And this is where we're going to end tonight in Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Paul is asking us, to exercise a choice of the will, to accept one another, and particularly those who have different opinions than us, to accept one another, to meet each other where we're at, and to accept each other there. Um, And he gives a reason for it, because Christ accepted us, because the Father extended his love to us through Jesus, And that's why we accept each other. This is really the definition of hypocrisy in the scriptures. I've said this before. Hypocrisy is not being a believer and still having issues or sin in your life. It says in 1 John that the one who is without sin deceives themselves, right? So we all have issues. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy really in the New Testament 
is receiving acceptance from God and, not, and finding a reason not to extend that to somebody else. Um, finding a reason not to extend that to someone. Receiving forgiveness and finding a justifiable reason in our own minds, a rationalization to not extend forgiveness to the next person. That's hypocrisy. It makes light of the grace of God. It makes light of his love, of his acceptance, of his grace. It calls us to accept each other. But it's really in the context of his love that siblings grow in their love for each other. Um, I was thinking about this with siblings and households. Um, You know, if you've ever been a sibling or raised siblings, um, then you know that even where relationships between siblings are strong, as a parent, sometimes there's a cry from the other side of the house, hey, Isla did this. It's normally Isla, right, who does stuff. (laughs) Um, She's only three, but she really knows how to get to them. <laughs> um, and Levi and Jade are awesome, big brother, big sister. Um, and, and they get along great with Isla, but sometimes Isla likes to press their buttons, right? Well, what happens in those times? Um, the parent intervenes with their love, right? And it's a good thing that, well, let's, let's have a best case scenario. <laughs> Perfect parent. <laughs> best case scenario. <laughs> um, um, because here's the thing. If the parent's love isn't holding the household together, then, what's gonna, then what could happen? This is an exaggeration. But one sibling could just look at another sibling and say, you know what? We're done. Like, you're out on the street tonight. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> see you later. You touch my things. See ya, Right? Um, But what do parents try to do? Um, They come in, they listen, they correct where they need to correct, they instruct where they need to instruct, they make sure that where love has been transgressed, that that gets spoken to, Um, they lift up who needs lifted up, right? They apply consequences where consequences need to be applied, and it is not even on the table that one sibling is going to end up out in the street, right? Like, that's not an option, right, (laughs) for for how this resolves, right? Um, Because it's the love of parents that holds siblings together. And if you had, you know, if you were blessed to have someone like this in your life, you know that even when you were in a disagreement with your sibling, um, a parent who approaches that in love will have the ability to make that sibling feel like they are being heard and accepted and they belong here, even if there's another side of the story, right? Even if there's another side of the story. It's, it's something that comes along with parenthood that we're able to see wrongs and we're able to see who was right and who was wrong and still love them equally, right? Still say, you are accepted here. You have a place here, even if I can see, you know, what really went down here, who was wrong. Um, I would say it's the same in the family of God. It would be so easy to disown each other. It would be so easy to run from each other. It would be so easy to split into different camps. It would be so easy to not listen to each other. It's so much easier. It's why the world is doing it all the time. Um, But it's the love of the Father, who treats us like siblings. Um, He comes to us and corrects and instructs, and it's not even an option that any of us end up out on the street, even if we're the one in the wrong, even if we insulted. um, We're not the one who ends up out on the street. There's room for us because the Father's love makes room for us, and because his love is like that, then we also grow in accepting each other too, right? 
Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how the world really needs this today. Um, there's so many reasons to divide. There's so many reasons not to hear each other. Um, there's so many reasons to be self-interested, um, to only care for ourselves and our own needs. Um, I think what's really different and what catches the world's attention is a family of people who accepts one another just as Christ accepted us, even in those difficult times, in order to bring praise to God, Paul says, because nothing brings more glory to God. That's why Jesus was praying it. Nothing brings more glory to God than a diverse family on mission that has learned to accept each other, even in the hard places. And I think our world is hungry for a place like that. You know, there's lots to be worried about in the time in which we live. There's lots to be concerned about. Um, and I am concerned about many of those things. But I also see so many opportunities. I see so many opportunities to put on display a different kind of way of existing as a family, of being together, of loving each other, and being in that space. Amen? Amen.